listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. We're going to be in John chapter 15 this morning. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to John chapter 15, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses explicitly and then make some application in the verses beyond. But as you're turning there, just want to take your attention to a few things happening in and around South Point. The first is on this coming Sunday, which is the national holiday uh, that is known as Mother's Day. We're going to have a breakfast uh, at 9.30 a.m. There's some brothers in the church, some students uh, that are going to be uh, cooking up some pancakes. And uh, it's just going to be a fun time. So would you join with us a little early next Sunday? And uh, we're going to have a good time celebrating uh, moms, uh, those who desire to be moms, those who are uh, moms of women and men in our church. And uh, we just want to celebrate and have a good time of fellowship before our Sunday service next Sunday at 930. Second, uh, you've heard about this already, but if you haven't already signed up to be a vo uh, volunteer for VBS, we would love to have your participation. Uh, there are a lot of roles uh, still left for the week itself. Uh, you could uh, lead a group of students in and around the stations, and that literally takes no prep work on your part, just a desire to be with children and to see that they hear the gospel in, in a fun and engaging way that week. And, um, and then there are other opportunities for those of you who would say, hey, I'm working all week. There's no way I can get off. Uh, there's a decorating team. You can go on the website and see some of the other ways that you might be able to help for some of you brothers in the church that might have some, uh, some uh, handy skills with woodworking. There's, um, there's going to be a team that's creating some backdrops. So if that's you, uh, log on to the website, see uh, Jane, would you raise your hand? That's Jane Sanford. She's directing our VBS for the second time. And so just see her, there might be an opportunity for you, even if you can't serve uh, during that week. In fact, I know that there is. And certainly if you can't help with anything, we would love uh, if you would begin praying now for uh, those that are serving and for those children that are uh, with us that week. And finally, if you're new with us to South Point, uh, we would love for you to take that card on the chair in front of you and fill it out at some point during the service. Or even if you don't have a pen, you can just bring it on your way out. There's a next step table. We have a gift to give you just to say thanks for being with us this weekend. Thanks for joining with us, and we'll follow up uh, via email this week to see how we might be able to serve you and your family. Uh, just a couple of comments. One is I'm reminded as I begin to preach and open up the Gospel of John that uh, Pastor Michael, who typically is with us on a Sunday morning, so if this is your first time, don't hold it against me, okay? Uh, come back at least one more week. Pastor Michael is preaching at South Point Locust Grove this morning. He's also opening up 
the Gospel of John. Uh, Pastor Caleb is at a church in North McDonough helping a church that was in need of some pulpit supply this morning at Union Grove Baptist. So he's opening up the scriptures there. Brother Tony is at a church in Stockbridge at Hemp Hill Presbyterian. Everybody, uh, we love to send people to see that the word would go forth. And so I'm thankful as I preach that other brothers in this city and, uh, and elsewhere are seeing to it that people are fed the word of God and that the church is encouraged and, and built up. I'm also reminded as I stand here and as Lucas comes and he's baptized and uh, Chris is standing here and, and does the baptism, Liz, his family, um, you guys have all joined us. I am reminded about the legacy of faith. And I don't want us to miss that this morning, even as we look at the vine, who is Christ in just a moment from John chapter 15. I don't want us to miss as the family of God that we all have a role to play. Moms, dads, grandparents, granddads, grandmoms, aunts, uncles. What a beautiful legacy of faith that you might be a part in some way that God, the spirit of God might use you in some way to see that a child would come or a man and woman would come to faith in Christ Jesus. Do not miss out on that. You may say, I have no significant role in the family of God. And I say, do you know anybody else? Do you know anybody else? What a gift it is to participate in the legacy that is faith in Christ. And so I don't want us to miss that. So now we're going to read John chapter 15, those first eight verses. Look there with me. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Now, as we begin, I confess to you uh, that I know Little to nothing, more on the nothing side than the, even the little side about plants, pruning, vines, anything like that. I know little to nothing about. I, I do such a hack job of pruning my knockout roses, like the most indestructible thing that, that you could prune, hack job of pruning those things every season. I know, at least because Brother Walton has told me, he's so patient with me. Thank you, brother. Um, that at least by February, at some point during the winter, in the February month, I need to start pruning those knockout rose bushes. And then after I do that, I just hope for the best. That's it. That's as much as I know. And yet, as Jesus says, 
I am the true vine. Here's what I'm thankful for because it sounds very random and I'm like, I don't know anything about vines. Remember, I don't know anything about planting. I, I, I don't know what Jesus is talking about inherently and yet we aren't left clueless. So you might be in the same position as me or you could be at Brother Walton's level who has this beautiful garden every single year and you know lots. The beautiful thing is that we, as we approach this text, Christ himself hasn't left us to wonder. So you don't have to know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to have a lot of horticultural experience to come into this text and think, okay, now I know what Jesus is talking about. He's given us clues. Now, although we're taking them a bit out of order, we've been walking through the seven I am statements. I want you to know that this I am statement in John chapter 15 is the last of the I am statements in the gospel of John. And it's found smack dab in the middle of this section that scholars call Jesus's farewell discourse, which is chapters 13 through 17. So we're in chapter 15, right there in the conversations that occur, the conversations and prayer in John chapter 17 that lead up to Jesus's arrest that night. So Here's where I need your participation. If this is the night that we are leading up to Jesus's arrest, does anybody know where the disciples have been up until this point? Where have they been? Do we know? They've been celebrating together. Anybody? It's okay. They've been in the upper room, okay? They have been together celebrating what? I'm going to give you another chance. They've been, and it's like, you guys were like, I was going to say it, but they've been celebrating together. Thank you, Chris. The Passover meal. Now, what else has happened that evening? Do you remember that? What? Somebody said Judas. Yes, Judas has been called out, right? Even though they don't all know that that's what's happened, but Judas has been called out. He's now left. What else happened before the meal? Jesus did something to all of his disciples, including Judas. What was that? He washed the disciples' feet. That is the context in which we experience this passage. The disciples have celebrated the Passover meal together. Jesus has explained himself the events that are to come, although the disciples still don't know what it is that is going to happen. Judas has been called out. Jesus has washed his 12 disciples' feet, and now they're wondering what is going to happen. Now, if you still have your Bibles open to John chapter 15, I want you to look at the verse just before that. Verse 31 of chapter 14, Jesus says there to his disciples at the very end of that verse, rise, what? Let us go from here, okay? So now you know where here is. Where is here? The upper room, they're in the upper room and now they're getting up, rise, let us, let us go from here. Jesus and the now 11 disciples, because remember Judas is no longer with them. He's, he's working to see some other things take place, right? The, the 11 disciples then began making their way around Jerusalem. Across, we find out later, across the brook Kidron and into the garden of Gethsemane. And as they do, here's the context. 
It's Passover season, so the moon is full and it's bright. And as they walk through Jerusalem, one could imagine that they would be able to see as they head to the Garden of Gethsemane, all of the vineyards that are among this city of Jerusalem. And so it makes, it makes a lot of sense now that Jesus, not out of nowhere, it's not coincidental that as they are walking in the beautiful moonlit night, that he might even pick up a vine and say, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. In verses one through eight, Jesus gives us then this beautiful metaphor of which there are really three parts. The first part is the vine. We also see the vine dresser and the third part is what? The branches, the vine, the vine dresser and the branches. So first the vine. If you haven't been with us as we've journeyed through these I am statements, it's good to know that Jesus is continually identifying himself with I am. He's continually identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament scriptures. I am. Throughout the Old Testament, it's also helpful for us to know that Israel is referred to as a vine. So here, not only is Jesus identifying himself with the God of Israel in saying, I am, he's also identifying himself with Israel when he says, I am the vine. I am God. I am the vine. In Hosea chapter 10, we see that Israel is a luxuriant vine. That's how Israel is described, that yields its fruit. You see, Israel was chosen by God as his people, and it was planted. She, Israel, was planted and loved by God with a purpose to produce fruit throughout the entire earth and fill it with his glory. But Hosea continues, and many of us know what exactly happens to Israel Hosea says, the more his fruit increased, that is Israel and this vine, the more altars he built as his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Israel in being planted as a vine for the glory of God to showcase his majesty among the earth as a light to the nations failed to produce the fruit that God wanted her to produce. And so when the Old Testament speaks about Israel as the vine, it usually accompanies a message of great failure. That shouldn't be lost on us, and it certainly wasn't lost on the disciples that evening. Because you could imagine as Jesus speaks up holding the vine and says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, there is a mixture of both fear and relief. Fear, because they might imagine that a story is about to come about how they have not lived up as the disciples that Jesus intended them to be. 
that they had not performed well enough to the standards of Jesus, that they had not done enough to fulfill God's commands. And they knew that judgment was to come as a result. So fear, but also relief. Relief as they process what Jesus just said. Did, did, did you hear what Jesus just said? He says, I am what Israel was not. Whatever you failed to do, I will do it. Israel was supposed to be a blessing to the nations. My father will see to it. He's the vine dresser through me. Israel failed to fill the world with his glory. It's okay. I'm here. I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's tending to every aspect, the vine and the vine's branches. So Christ is the vine. Second, we see the vine dresser. And verse two gives us the vine dresser's aim. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You see, the father is always working diligently to see that the vine produces its maximum fruit. Don't miss that. The father is always working diligently to see that his vine produces the maximum amount of fruit. We also see this in verse eight. Look there in the text with me. By this, my father is glorified that you bear branches, much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Brothers and sisters, and we'll get to this in just a moment, but abide is the word of this passage. What I mean by abide is the word of this passage. You'll, you'll hear about your responsibility within the Christian faith soon enough, but before you do, it's important that we know that the Father is tending to the vine and the vine's branches in a way that whatever he desires to be accomplished will come to be. Isn't that good news this morning? Whatever God desires to be accomplished will come to be. There's relief there. The third part of Jesus' metaphor is found in the branches themselves. And there are two kinds of branches, Jesus tells us in this metaphor. Branches that are what? Fruitful. And what happens to the branches that are fruitful? They're pruned. And then there are branches that are what? not fruit-bearing, and what happens to those branches? They're cut off, they're, they're thrown away. The vine dresser prunes the branches that do bear fruit. We can't miss that, why? Consider Hebrews chapter 12, verse six. The preacher there says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves so that we may share in his holiness. And in verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, think pruning, but yet later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hear this, a vine will not produce its intended fruit unless its vine dresser with great tenderness and precision prunes it, removing a renegade shoot here and a dead leaf there. Remember, I'm talking about maximum fruit, the, the maximum amount of fruit that is intended. We're not talking about the hack job at the knockout roses that I do. 
We're talking about a loving vine dresser who uses a scalpel to prune and to see that the maximum amount of fruit is produced. And while the pruning may be painful, and it is, it is, don't miss this, good for the vine. It's for the good of the branches. We often misinterpret pruning in the Christian life, don't we? Because when we experience hardships and trials, whatever they may be, we, we tend to think that God must be against me or that God doesn't love me or, and maybe you're here, I'm not sure if God is there. When hardships and trials come to the Christian, we often misinterpret the process of pruning and we think, God, you're not working together for my good or God, you aren't there. And we get tired when the pressure hasn't relented after a long season and long is quite relative, isn't it? Really, we get, we get tired when the pressure is longer than it takes. I did this this morning, so this is fresh in my mind. I always think, preachers often talk about driving and traffic. I'm like, man, I'm a really patient driver. I'm cool with traffic. I told some brothers this the other week. I love driving in Atlanta. You may think I'm weird. Now, I don't. I don't drive into Atlanta every day, so there's that. I don't mind it. But it hit me the other day. Chris, you might be a little prideful because you are not a patient person. And here's how I know it. Because when I get to the grocery store and I'm driving up to the front, like to pass the front, all of a sudden somebody comes out. It feels like, are, are you backing up? Like, like you see that I'm there and all of a sudden I realize I can't stand this. I can't, I can't wait any longer. I must go past. What am I going to do? We don't like it when even something as little as that is slow. The pruning process is painful, is it not, in the Christian life? We begin to wonder if the pressure will ever relent. Why is God doing this to me, what is God doing in these moments? Here's what he's doing. He's ensuring our vital connection to the vine. Don't miss this. Pruning isn't a threat, family. Pruning is a promise. Pruning isn't a threat. Pruning is a promise. I will prune you, God says, but I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. There are the branches that are pruned and bear fruit, and we also see that there are others, as you mentioned in the text, that do not bear fruit, and they are taken away. They're removed. Look at verse six with me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered. They're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. So the question always arises here, does this mean if I am a Christian and I'm not bearing enough fruit that I'll be cut off? Is that what Jesus is implying here? If I'm a Christian and I've lived my life in a way that is not bearing fruit, am I going to be cut off? The answer is what? No. The answer is a resounding no. We can't take the metaphor, metaphor too far. In fact, I want you to tuck that away just in your personal Bible reading. Whenever you come upon metaphorical language, don't ever take the metaphor too far because then you end up with wacko theology. 
Okay, so don't take the metaphor too far here. Jesus isn't telling his disciples that there are two kinds of Christians, ones that are pruned and bear fruit and others that don't bear fruit and are then cut off or discarded. No, Jesus is, hear this, saying that there is how many disciples? There's one kind of disciple. There are not two kinds of disciples. There are only one kind of disciple, the kind that does what? bears fruit. That's the only kind of disciple that there is. Fruit bearing does not then give you salvation, but rather connection to the vine, connection to the life source is what then causes us to necessarily bear fruit. If you are connected to the vine, you will then bear fruit. The reality is this, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, if you profess to be a Christian, that you are connected to the life source that is Christ the vine, and you bear no fruit, the text is clear, you have no reason to believe that you are a Christian. A failure to produce fruit does not mean that you are a bad Christian, but rather, hear this, in tenderness, with great compassion, it just simply means that you are not actually attached to the life source that is who? Christ, the vine, the true vine. It was just earlier this evening when Jesus had washed all of the feet of his 12 disciples, and he said to them, listen, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, and then he says this, but not all of you. Who was he referencing? Judas. The disciples didn't know that. But he says, but not all of you. So now, Christ here in John chapter 15, he's looking at how many disciples? 11, one minus Judas, Judas having left, and he knows their hearts. He knows the waywardness of the disciples even that are standing in front of him. He knows the sinful patterns of the 11. He knows the, pro- the pride in which Peter would exclaim, man, Jesus, if everybody would deny you still, I will not. He knows that when he looks to the 11, the disciples must be wondering if there are two kinds of branches, those that bear fruit and those that do not. And I hope that you might be asking yourself the same question, which are we? Which am I? With tenderness, Jesus speaks to the 11 and he says, with that context in mind, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. I love that Christ knows that even those who are his will wonder at times. Do you ever wonder, brother or sister? Am I really connected to the life source that is Christ? Is there life flowing through my veins? What kind of branch am I? We all have moments of doubt. And Jesus speaks here to even his 11 disciples, those who have journeyed with him over the past three years. And he says, already you are clean. Before you begin thinking, though, that it is the fruit that saves a disciple, that it is fruit that gives us life, Jesus steps in with a gentle reminder, and he says, I am life. 
I'm the vine. I'm the source that you need. I'm the savior here. The disciples must have wondered, if you're the vine, if your life, if you're the source, then what is our role as branches? Look there in the text with me. Verse four, Jesus says, branches abide in me and I in you. Abide is not really a word that we run across. I don't know about you, but I probably haven't used the word abide in any statement in my house in the past week, except when I was talking about this sermon. We don't really use abide very often, and yet it's important that we see that Jesus uses the word nine times through verse 17 in this passage. The Greek word for abide here is meno. Michael Pastor Michael, we saw each other this morning. He said, make sure that you say meno instead of meno. Some people say that. So just so you, you can tell him that I said meno. And here's why that's important, that you know that the Greek word is meno because that's where we get our word remain in the English. Jesus says, when he says, abide in me and I in you, he's really intending to say, remain in me and I am you. It's a, it's a homemaking term. It means to stay put, make a home, remain here, get comfortable. Several weeks ago, Pastor Caleb was talking about our soft clothes when we're around Jesus. It's that, it's that language of abide, get comfortable, stay put. And with this word abide, there's an invitation, two things, an invitation and a command. One author put it this way, on the one hand, abide suggests resting. Stay put, remain like a child leaning upon his mother's arm, leaning into his mother's embrace. This posture of reliance for care and even survival like branches depend upon and abide in the vine. And so on the one hand, abide is to mean utter dependency upon the source of life. Jesus says, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. But on the other hand, the author says, abiding is a verb, it's an action. It's something that you must do. It's a command from Jesus, abide in me, he says. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus gives us this command to abide, a command to rest, a command to get comfortable, a, a command to remain. We want the Christian life to have these neat little to-do lists, or at least I do at times. Just, just tell me what to do, preacher. Just tell me how much money I'm supposed to give to the church so that I can just feel good for once. Like that I've done what I was supposed to do. Just tell me how much I'm really supposed to spend time in God's word. I hear about the old preachers that got up at three in the morning and they read for hours. Martin Luther prayed for hours on end before the day itself took place. Just tell me exactly how much time I need to give to this. A neat little to-do list would be helpful in the Christian life, we think. Just tell me how many times I can get away with not sharing the gospel. Like, if you could just tell me, like, is one time, like, a year, like, is that okay? Anybody ever thought like that before? I have. Jesus gives us this word abide to show us that the Christian life is more about intimacy with God than anything else. 
It's less about a to-do list. It's less about telling you exactly what to do. And it's more about who you are, intimacy with God. That's what Christ wants from his disciples. You see, with the vine and her branches, there is a vital connection between them. A branch is desperate for the vine. There's no life without it. We can't possibly produce anything on our own. We are in utter need of Christ. Verse four, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, look there, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And if we abide in Christ, verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Friends, as we stay connected to the vine, to the source, as the branch remains connected with the vine, so the vine then causes the branch to bear fruit. And in this, God is glorified. Verse eight, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The father is glorified when his children bear much fruit. Now consider this, as we've already seen, as to the father's role. He's what in the metaphor? The vine dresser. And the vine dresser always sees to it that the vine would produce and yield the maximum fruit. So rest in this, child of God. God is overseeing and tending to your very sanctification. He's seeing to it that you will indeed yield and bear much fruit in his kingdom. And in doing so, here's the picture that God himself, who is the vine dresser, will receive all the glory. I want to give us a picture of abiding and then we're going to just walk through verses 9 through 17 as a bit of application. So for the picture, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, there's a familiar story for many of us. And Jesus there in Luke chapter 15 tells us about a prodigal son. Some of you are familiar with this story. The prodigal son had asked his father for his inheritance up front. I'm out of here. It's time for me to live life on my own. Dad, give me my inheritance. And so in a way that was a disgrace to his dad, he ends up giving him his inheritance and the prodigal son leaves home and he lives it up to the fullest. He does everything he could have wanted, do, doing whatever he possibly could that the money that he had, you name it, he did it. Well, at some point, what happens? He's bankrupt. He's without money and he finds himself at the lowest point. Anybody remember what was he doing? Eating with the pigs. The prodigal son who had been given an early inheritance spent everything that he had so much so that he found himself eating with the scum of the earth, an animal in which does not sweat. Disgusting. And the prodigal son begins thinking, man, even if I go back home, I'm going to be treated. If I go back home and I say to my dad, can I just be one of your hired hands? 
I'll be treated in a better way than I am finding myself sharing a meal and a plate with pigs. And so he begins to trek home and his father the entire time has been on the lookout for his son. He's been longing for the return of his son. And when the father sees his son from a a long distance, he sees him and again to his own disgrace, he lifts up his robe and he begins to run towards his son. And when he sees his son, he embraces his son and he says, I'm going to put this ring of mine on your finger and I'm going to give you this robe of mine and put it on your back and we're going to kill the fattened calf and we're going to throw the biggest party that you could ever imagine because this child of mine was dead. And now he's alive. Now, why do I share this story and talk about the vine? Because I think it sets up for the context in which abiding occurs. And you're going to have to go with me for just a minute because we don't know what else happens in the story of the prodigal son. We don't know exactly what else would have happened in that story. Jesus doesn't tell us. So I don't want to presume, but here for context, just for a moment, I want us to consider because after a party such as that ended, the prodigal son who had been welcomed lavishly into his home would have eventually done what? Would have gone back into his own house and he would have walked to his room And he would have laid down on his bed. And before he fell asleep that night, he must have thought, I am finally home. My father welcomed me back. I'm forgiven. Whatever happens next in the story, you see, and again, we don't know, but whatever happens next in the story is in direct relation to the prodigal's identity as a son in that home. Whatever happens next to the prodigal son is an overflow of what he has experienced in his father's house. Whatever happens next happens because he's where? At home. He's at rest. The prodigal son is remaining. The son had to go through, don't forget, the pruning, albeit very painful, because he thought, don't miss this, he thought that life existed apart from his father. He thought that what he needed more than anything was independence. I need to do things my way. But he soon found that life, life was actually found not in independence, but what? Dependence. And that is what the pruning taught the son. And now he remains. He's at home. He's with his father. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. Isn't that beautiful? 
verses 9 through 17 are really the practical outworking. I just have a few minutes left, but they're the practical working of the previous verses. So I want you to keep the picture of the prodigal son and his relationship in the home with his father in mind as we begin working out what abiding really looks like for the disciple of Christ Jesus. So if life is found in connection with the vine, then divine, then abiding ensures life and fruit bearing for the branches. It ensures it. If life is found in Christ, then abiding ensures life and fruit bearing for the Christian. And while abiding is an invitation to drink deeply from its source, that is life, the vine, remember it is also a command, a command to rest. So there is life connected to the vine, and Jesus says it is experienced through abiding, remaining, making yourself comfortable in four ways. And the first is this, family, obeying God's word. Obeying God's word, verse nine, there says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, I want you to hear me say this. We have to be very careful here. That's why I want you to have the picture of the prodigal son in your mind, fresh there. We don't keep God's love by our obedience. We do not keep God's love by our what? Obedience. It's not as though he will take it away from us when we're not obedient, but rather, as one pastor put it, experience, we experience the fullness of his love because our disobedience is not then clouding it. Obedience is the context then and setting for enjoying the fullness of Christ's love. It's remaining in it. It's getting comfortable in it. I think we could say it this way. Abiding in Christ is found in consistent dependence on God's word. And as we depend on Christ and his word, the fruit of obedience is sure to come. How do we know that? Because the divine dresser is always ensuring that the branches produce what? Maximum fruit. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Obedience is not negative, by the way. Jesus tells us to abide through keeping his commandments, not so that you would know what it's like to have a rule master. My kids recently watched the, the newish um, Matilda Miss um, Trunchbull, isn't that her name? Is that how you say it? Miss Trunchbull. That, that's not the idea of a God here, but verse 11, that my joy, here's what Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full because Jesus knows that in him is life. Now, I'm trying to teach my son. Don't go test him on this because I'm trying, Okay. I'm trying to teach my son right now that when he meets someone for the first time, this is really slow progress, but when he meets someone for the first time, he's gonna walk up to them and he's gonna say, hi, my name is Cyrus. What's your name? Then he might shake their hands and they're gonna tell him, hi, I'm Chris. It's good to meet you, Cyrus. And he's gonna smile and I've, I've tried to work with him on making sure that he looks them in the eye and it really hasn't worked yet. 
Except the other day, we, we, I took him to the barber shop and uh, there was a new barber there for him. And uh, so he, he runs up and he's like, man, I got this. And so he jumps up in the chair and he says, hi, my name is Cyrus. Nice to meet you. What's your name? And the dude is like totally watching the TV. And he looks at me like, dad, you taught me to do this and it didn't work, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying. But listen, I give you that example because as he remains in my house, I'm teaching him to obey, not because I want him to have some task list, but because he's obeying so that it might go well with him. It's for his good. His obedience in turn is for his great good so that he would in turn flourish that he would cultivate good relationships, that he would be respectful. Last on this point of obeying God's word, it's really difficult to obey God's word without spending time with it. And I, I don't share that to say, if you're not spending time in God's word, then shame on you. I just share it to say, if we are indeed to be a people who abide, we rest in, we remain in Christ's love, by obeying his commands, then we must know what his commands are. We spend time in God's word. We can't say that we're enjoying all that God has for us, that we're abiding and not actively pursuing the life that he says that he has for us. Life is connected to the source and the source says abiding is found in obeying God's word. Keith sent me this tweet the other day. It said, Jesus said abide how many times? Remember in this passage? Nine. So think of Jesus saying abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide. You, you get it. And then we take that and we say, okay, Jesus, but what do we really need to do? Jesus says, okay, let me start over. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. As we receive life in Christ from his word, we do what? We, we obey. Second, we see this abiding through loving God's people, loving God's people. Verse 12 there, it says, look there in the text with me. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. We share in the work of loving others in Christ's church. Why? Because Christ first loved us. How do we know if we're loving God's people? I'll, I'll tell you this, we don't find it in quantity necessarily how often we are serving and loving God's people. How often am I opening my home? How often am I actually spending time in reading the Bible? How often am I serving on a Sunday morning? How often am I serving in kids' ministry? That gets me extra points, right? How often am I doing these things? Abiding is not often found in the quantity. If you really want to know if you're loving the people of God, here is a really easy test. It's usually found in the ride home. 
Why do I say it's usually found in the right home? It's usually found in the right home because I know that. Are you grumbling about being with and serving the people of God? Are you angry at someone in the body? Are you finding yourself prideful by comparing yourself to the service that you've done in regards to someone else? Or are you filled up, friend? Are you still leaking with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? Those are the fruit of the Spirit. That's how we are to know if we are actually loving the people of God in which Christ himself died for. It's been said that we cannot give what we do not possess. Disciples of Christ, those branches that are connected to the vine are experiencing Christ's love and able to bear fruit in keeping with it. We receive love from Christ as Christ has shown us the ultimate example of sacrificial love on the cross by literally dying for us, his children. And as we abide in Christ, we love. Third, joining in God's mission. We find ourselves abiding, making a home, resting in Christ as we join in God's mission. Verse 16, he says, you did not choose me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You have received grace, brother and sister, so that you are able to proclaim that grace. Remember, Israel failed to produce the fruit in which she would call to produce. The vine dresser is though ensuring that you won't fail, Christian. You are to go and bear fruit. In abiding, as the life of Christ is flowing through your veins, you have this resurrection power accompanying you as you live in your home. As you go to your workplace, as you serve among the people of God. As you go, you will bear fruit. Jesus will see to it. The Father is seeing to it. It's guaranteed for the believer. You have nothing to lose. And finally, we abide as we pray for God's will to be done. The later half of verse 16, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Finally, as you abide in Christ, there is communion that is yours. Communion that is not only to be used on special occasions, you see, but communion at all times as you are vitally connected to the vine. Life comes from the source. Talk to the Father in Christ's name, and it's yours. And so I want to give us an opportunity to do that. Just pray to the Father. And as we do that, I want us to remember the image of the prodigal son being welcomed home and staying there, remaining there, making a home there, being comfortable there. Because the prodigal son knew what it was like to live life apart from his father. He knew what it was like, at least in a sense, for a moment to be independent or to think that independence was the right way, that he was going and determined to find life elsewhere. But it was a dead end, wasn't it? Because it left him bankrupt. Life was actually found back at home. I, I wonder where for you, you've been searching for life. Christ says, abide, and you keep saying, but yeah, let me, let me check this one last door. 
And we, we can even spiritualize it. And here's what I mean. We can say, or Christ can say to us, I am the true vine. Life is found in me, the source. Dependence is there. And we can say, I'm going to try pushing on this last door. Hey, hang on. You know, I fell off my spiritual disciplines. I'm going to get that in order. And I'm going to find life there in my rigidness. You see how you could even dress it up so that it could sound spiritual? Christ says, abide in me. And you say, but, 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 but life might be found over there. Just give me one second, Jesus. I'm going to check that, that real quick. If I could just make $500 more a month, man, my life would be completely different. Amen? Just $500 more a month. I'm going I'm to just push on that door for just a minute and see if I can find life over there. What does Christ say? Abide in me and I in you. Remain, rest, home. I don't know about you, but that sounds good, doesn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us a chance to explore mine, your truth this morning, this morning in John chapter 15. We thank you that you have given us this beautiful picture of who Christ is, the vine, and we see that the work that you're doing to see that this vine and its branches would yield the maximum fruit, and you tell us the way. You give us an invitation and a command. You give us an invitation to rest, remain, stay connected to you, your son, the source of life. That's it. Father, I pray that you would root out of us our desire for independence, that you would press in this image of the prodigal son returning home and making his home there, remaining, resting, getting comfortable. I pray that that image would be seared into us, that as this week we find ourselves going or desiring to go our own way, to press on this one last door so that we can just ensure that life isn't found there, that we would heed your words, that we would hear Christ saying, abide in me and I in you. And that we would remember that we've been welcomed home as your children and that we're just to rest there, remain there. We thank you for the work that you're doing. God, I pray for the individual here this morning that has considered the two branches, that one branch that you prune to bear much fruit and that other branch not as a disciple of Christ, but a branch that actually wasn't really attached. It does not bear fruit. It will not bear fruit. It cannot bear fruit because it is not attached to the vine and you will cut that off. I pray if there is an individual or people here this morning that would say, I don't know if I'm in Christ. Father, I pray that they might wrestle with that God, that you convict them of their sin and that they would trust in Christ Jesus by faith this morning, a work that only your spirit can do. 
that you might take them from dead and give them life. God, I pray for your children here today that you would strengthen us, remind us to abide, rest, remain for your good and glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Family, every single week at South Point, we participate in the second ordinance of the church. We saw the first this morning and we don't participate that in every week, but the other we do, and that is communion, the Lord's Supper. It's, it's a meal that Christ Jesus himself instituted where Jesus was sharing with his disciples and he reminded them as he took the bread He said, this is what's about to happen. My body is going to be broken for you. And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite those of you who are abiding in Christ, those that Christ has indeed given life to, to come and join us at one of the four stations around this room where there is bread, a a reminder, a symbol of Christ's body that was broken on the cross for us. And we dip it into the juice, a reminder of Christ's blood that was poured out on our behalf that we might know him, that we might have life in him, connected to the vine. Family, remain, rest. If you're not a follower of Christ, I would love for the opportunity to talk more with you about that. Come and find me and uh, we, we could talk more in just a moment. If you're in Christ, come and share in the blessing of communion.